if you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Jude, the book of Jude, we'll be back in verse 11 again today, and we'll finish out verse 11, book of Jude, we'll be looking at the gainsaying of Kor, the gainsaying of Kor. So we're continuing our study in this amazing little book to be so small it weighs so much (laughs) because the doctrine is very, very heavy. And Jude has been warning us about false teachers who crept into the church of Jesus Christ unnoticed. And in verse 11, Jude has given us three examples of men in the Bible who are like the type of people that he's warning us about. Jude's first example was Cain, the firstborn son of Adam and Eve. Jude's second example, which we studied last week, was the prophet Balaam. He was a hireling prophet who sought to curse the people of God so he could get money out of it. And then now that brings us to Jude's third example and the topic of our study this morning, a man named Kor. Jude said, woe unto them, if you look with me in verse 11, for they, that is the creepy clergy, have gone in the way of Cain, number one, and read greedily after the era of Balaam for reward, number two, and number three, perished in the gainsaying of Kor. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word today. And I pray, Father, you'll seal it to our hearts. Give us understanding. May all eyes be upon you this morning, we ask it. In Jesus' wonderful name, Lord, feed us with your word. Amen. The man referred to as Kor here this morning is the same person referred to as Korah in the book of Numbers chapter 16. All right? So that's K-O-R-A-H in the book of Numbers chapter 16. And Jude said... That these creepy clergy perished in the gainsaying of Kor. What's gainsaying? We don't use that much today. But the word gainsaying means to contradict, to disobey, to strive against someone or something. And it's the same Greek word that the Bible uses in the book of Hebrews to describe how Jesus faced the conflict of sinners. How how the sinners rejected his message. They rejected him. He was constantly battling it out with the people he came to save. Same word here. If you have a pen, then take your pen in verse 11, please. And underscore the word way in verse 11. The way of Cain. And now underscore the word error. The error of Balaam. And then finally, underscore the word gainsaying. The gainsaying of Kor. So Jude is giving us insight into these creepy clergy from three different angles. Three different perspectives, if you would. And since we don't use the word gainsaying commonly today, I'm going to wrap this idea up with the word rebellion. The rebellion of Kor. 
because we're used to that word and that'll give us uh, our minds won't have to constantly be defining it during the message but that's it was a good word to describe gainsaying and perhaps if you have a more modern translation it's translated rebellion in your text when it comes down to it we're talking about rebellion this morning we looked at the different angles the error of core the of, of Balaam the way he thought the way he believed the way of Cain the the path he went uh, and now we're getting here to the rebellion of Korah and when it comes down to it these creepy clergy these false Bible teachers are just rebels. That's all they are. Now, they may look like humble people. They may talk with sweet, soft voices. But let me tell you, they are rebels on the inside all the way. And when it comes down to it, ungodly people do what they do because they're in a state of rebellion against God in spite of their godly appearance in spite of the positions they hold in the church, in spite of all the fine prayers and fine speeches that they make, these religious hypocrites will not bow the knee to the word of God and submit to His authority in His will for their lives. They say that they serve God, but they actually serve themselves in God's name. They use religion as a spiritual cloak to cover their true carnal and selfish motives. Let me tell you how this works. By, by covering themselves in their religious employment, and, and the, and the, it seems like for a lot of them, the more far off they get from the Bible, the more religious clothes they want to wear. Isn't that true? Have you noticed that, Brother Shepherd? Did you teach that this morning? It's amazing how... I hadn't heard that. I was teaching over here. It's amazing how they dovetail all the time. But the more religious garb they want to put on, uh, to, but they love to cloak themselves in their titles. Uh, a lot of times I'll call Brother Doug, Reverend, Reverend Sexton. So it's just for fun. I'll call him Reverend. It's just for fun. We don't really mean it. But uh, they love to cloak themselves in their religious employment. Why? Because it allows them to gain credibility in the public's eyes. And it also allows them to be able to excuse their unrighteous behavior. Okay? Let me give you an illustration. When I was a highway patrolman, we were, by law, we were exempt from the speed law. Policemen are exempt from the speed law. But our department had a policy that we still had to obey the speed law unless... We were pursuing a violator or unless we were on an emergency. All right. So by law, we were exempt from the speed law. But by policy, we still had to follow it unless one of those two things applied. And uh, but the truth is, policemen and, and highway patrolmen, no matter what their policy is, they, they often grow accustomed to going fast and they often grow accustomed to be able to drive however they want to. Because who's going to stop and tell them any different? They're the law out there. And so they sometimes they'll get into a habit of breaking the laws or speeding routinely. Whether they're on an emergency or trying to apprehend a, a violator or not. Isn't that right, Brother Shepherd? They'll just get into that habit. And, uh, and that can make them look bad in the public's eye. Because... 
the public, you know, they're not all that dumb, some of them, and, and, and they think, you know, if speeding is really unsafe, then why are the policemen doing it? And if speeding's not unsafe, then why are they writing us tickets for it? <laughs> and, uh, and, and so one night, uh, I was uh, down in Austin. Uh, we, several of us had driven down to Austin to go to a school. And I was having supper with a couple of troopers in Austin. And if my memory serves me correctly, this one trooper was telling a story about him driving down that night. And uh, he, he had just driven down to attend that school the next day like me. And, and, and it was very common for troopers to speed going down to Austin because it's a long drive. And they just put the pedal to the metal. And, and, uh, and, and that's just what they did. And, and this one trooper, again, if my memory serves me correctly, I remember the story he was telling. But I believe it was about his trip down there that night. About how he was speeding. And that uh, apparently he had passed this woman up. And I don't know if she caught him at a red light or if she saw him when he pulled over to get gas. But somehow he passed her up and then she caught up with him eventually. And when she did, she scolded him for speeding. And women get away with that better than a man can. And but she scolded him for speeding. And he told us that he let her know. He said, I told her, we, that is policemen, we have reasons for speeding. And the other trooper heard him. He said, that's right. We've got reasons for speeding. (laughs) And it was as if in their mind, they represented the law. Therefore, they could be excused for breaking it. He had no more reason for getting where he was going in Austin that night at a high rate of speed than anybody else going to Austin that night for a higher rate of speed. Just because you're going to a school the next day doesn't mean that, you know, it's any better than you going to go visit your, your family or something. And, and I believe that's how many of these counterfeit pastors approach the law of God. In their minds, they represent God's law. They represent God's will. Therefore, they can be excused for breaking it. They grow so accustomed to representing it and being the ones to say, this is good or this is bad or I'll write you a ticket or I'll let you go. They get so used to it because they, in their minds, they have the power to, to, to enforce or to change God's law at will into something more convenient for them and their their congregation to follow. But if you could peel back. Their religious cover. You would see that they're nothing more than rebels against the kingdom of God on the inside. What makes a person a rebel? It's how they think. That's what makes them a rebel. It's how they think. A person is a rebel. A person doesn't acknowledge God for who he is. A rebel doesn't accept God's word. As the sole and final authority over their lives. A rebel doesn't want to go God's way. And so they go about to establish their own way. You see? And with that in mind, I want you to keep all that in mind this morning. Because we're going to need that to be able to explain these false teachers. The people like Kor who was a rebel Uh, False teachers that just as they don't acknowledge God for who he is. So they don't acknowledge the path they chose for what it is. 
Instead of acknowledging when they go against God's word, when they go against God's will, instead of acknowledging their ungodly choice as a rebellious path that is contrary to God's word, they actually do the opposite. They actually claim that their rebellious path is good and holy. They sanction it in some way and say, this is good. They say the life that they're living and the doctrine they're teaching is blessed by the Most High God, even though it contradicts the path that God has given them in His Word. For example, last week we studied about Balaam. Balaam didn't acknowledge that the eternal things of God were more valuable than the temporary things of this world. That was the error of Balaam's thinking. Creepy clergy are rebels. They don't acknowledge God for who he is. So they go off in the wrong direction against the will of God. They go away from the presence of God. Yet strangely enough, they do that all while claiming to represent God. It can really boggle the mind. They speak in God's name. But they do not travel in God's direction. That was a man named Korah. Now, remember, last week when we learned about Balaam, we were in Numbers chapter 22. Remember that? And this week, if you take your Bibles and turn to Numbers 16, Numbers chapter 16, this week we learned about Korah. He's in Numbers 16, just a few chapters from where we were last week. So Jude, understand, is referring us back in time again to when Israel was journeying through the wilderness On their way to the promised land. In Numbers chapter 22. They ran into some trouble with the prophet Balaam. And now in Numbers 16. They're going to run into some trouble with a Levite named Korah. Okay. Now why why is that important for us to remind you about Balaam and Korah together? Well Balaam was a Gentile. Remember that? Balaam was a Gentile. If you'll remember Balaam, the, 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 the king of Midian, he took him to different places. That like, like, they, like Israelites were down here, he'd take them up on this high mountain. He said, now look at him, see if you can curse him from down here. He'd look down there and he couldn't, God wouldn't let him curse him from there. Well, let, let's move over here. And let's get on this side over here and let's look at him from this angle. See if you can curse him from here. But Balaam was always on the outside. He was always looking at Israel from a distance. That's very important for us to understand. Balaam was a Gentile. Korah was a Jew. Both were religious men, however, who troubled the people of God On their way to the promised land. You know what we are this morning if we're believers in Jesus Christ? We are the people of God on our way to the promised land. That's what we are. So all these stories are talking about us. (laughs) Balaam was a Gentile who watched Israel from afar. But Korah was an Israelite who lived within the camp. So understand. Balaam was the enemy without. Korah was the enemy within. You see that? The devil has counterfeit religious people on the outside of the church. We get up here. You can have Baptists get up here. You can have a Baptist preacher get up here. They'll talk about church Christ. They'll talk about the Mormons. They'll talk about the Jehovah's Witness. 
But you know what? A lot of times that pastor that's trashing all these other people, he's just as false as the people he's condemning. Did you know that one cult will condemn another cult? They sure will. <laughs> you remember uh, the, the Apostle Paul at one time, he got the Pharisees and the Sadducees arguing with each other. And they were both wrong. You see? And so it's trickier if the devil can put someone on the inside, he can do far more damage than someone on the outside. You see? It's much easier to defend the church against people on the outside if you're a pastor as well or if you're a church leader. But boy, it gets a lot more personal and a lot more challenging to defend the church against people on the inside. People make relationships when they're on the inside of the church. You get close to them. And then suddenly when the air begins to come out and the church has to address it, a lot of times, instead of standing with God's word, people will go with the relationships they built and they'll defend that person even though that person or that pastor even is wrong. Core represents the people in the local church. Core represents the people in the grassroots denomination. The Southern Baptist Convention. The Independent Fundamental Fellowships. He, he, he represents people who are on the inside of the church, locally, who seek to gain control of the leadership of that church or that denomination, and then corrupt it with their godless, secular influence. Look with me now, number 16, verse 1 through 3. Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous men in the congregation, men of renown, and gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. That sounds kind of religious and pious, doesn't it? Korah and his men gathered themselves together against the God-ordained leadership of Moses and the priesthood of Aaron. Now, I want you to notice the difference between the man Moses and the man Korah. Moses was qualified to lead Israel, but he felt he was unqualified to lead Israel. Korah was not qualified to lead Israel, but he felt he was. <laughs> when God called Moses to lead Israel, Moses didn't want the job. God never called Korah to lead Israel, yet Korah wanted the job. And I've noticed the same trend in politics. I've noticed the same trend, I think, in the workplace. Sometimes the most qualified people are the people who are not seeking power. While the most unqualified people are the people who are seeking power. So what does that tell us when we look at Korah and we apply this to the church today? It tells us that we need to understand that sometimes people... Who have no business in the ministry. Will nevertheless eagerly seek a position in the ministry. 
And it's our job as the people of God to make sure that we put people in power based on their wisdom, based on their humility and their spiritual gifts, rather than their ambition, their education and their eagerness to rise to power. Korah was a man who had a lot of clout. He had a lot of backing. In verse 2, we're told that he had the backing of 250 religious uh, or 250 leaders in Israel. So Korah had a great resume with lots of good endorsement from key men in Israel. And he was pushing all the right emotional buttons to work his way into the people's heart. In verse 3, he said, Ye take too much upon you, seeing that all the congregation are holy. Man, that sounds good, isn't it? If I come in here, I said, You are all holy. Every one of you are holy. Man, that really builds you up. That really puffs you up. And so in front of the congregation, he's saying, All the congregation here are holy. You're no more holier than them, Moses. You're no more holier than them, Aaron. He says, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Oh, how wonderful that sounds. He says, wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. Now look what Kor is doing here. Watch his tactic. This is an age-old tactic here of vilifying that power, the powers that be while exalting the people who are under them. Vilifying the powers that be while exalting the people who are under them. Korah was trying to get the people to turn against Moses while at the same time offering them liberty from Moses' law. He was basically telling the people, you need me to rescue you from the the overbearing power of Moses and Aaron. You are as holy as they are. You deserve so much more and you need me in power to give it to you. That's how I think Korah was thinking. Now, I want you to think about this with me for a moment. Moses was the lawgiver, was he not? Moses was the lawgiver. He was the one who gave the Ten Commandments. He was the one who gave the ceremonial law. He was the one who gave the civil law. He was the one who gave the law of the sacrifices, established the tabernacle worship, and who revealed by the Word of God the proper way to approach the one true God. Through the burnt sacrifice, through, the, through that narrow gate of the tabernacle, all the way to the Holy of Holies. He was the one that showed it, brother. So when Korah rebelled against Moses, he was rebelling against the word of God. You see that? Against the established word of Almighty God. He rebelled against the word of God, even though he spoke In the name of God, profess to be holy and claim to be a follower of the Lord. You see where a creepy clergy will attack? They're going to minimize the scripture. They're going to maximize the man. That's what they're going to do. Listen again to the question Korah asked Moses and Aaron. He said, wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above what? The congregation. Of the Lord. Do you see what Korah is doing here? Korah was lifting up the congregation above the law of God. Watch what's happening here. Let's make this modern today. Korah was lifting up the people in the pew above the word of God that's given to them. The congregation above the Bible. While accusing Moses of lifting himself up above the congregation. Because he stood on the Bible. Korah saw the congregation 
as the standard of authority. Moses saw the word of God as the standard of authority for the congregation. You see the difference here? Church, as your pastor and Brother Shepherd, as your, as your associate pastor, we are lifting up the word of God as the standard of authority for this church. In my lifetime, I have seen pastors lift up church covenants. I have seen them lift up church bylaws. I have seen them lift up councils. I have seen them lift up denominational creeds and the teachings of men of days gone by. But in your eyes, I want to lift up nothing but the precious word of God. Korah was an Old Testament example of New Testament pastors who cleverly lift up the name of the Lord all the while casting down the word of the Lord. When I was ordained, one of the men in the ordaining council asked me if I believed that the church was a democracy. I could tell by, I felt by his question that he believed the church was a democracy. And that was a big thing for some churches, but I told him no. The church is not a democracy. Why did I tell him that? Because the authority of the church is in the voice of the Lord, not in the voice of the people. But it is amazing to me how liberal pastors like Korah today can stand against God's word while doing so in God's name. And it seems like nobody even notices. They'll say, I'll, I'll tell people sometimes, no, you got to stick with the Bible. You know, I, they'll ask me something about some, what some preachers teach. And I'll say, no, that's wrong. Stick with the Bible. And they'll say, well, he uses the Bible. Well, I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. <laughs> but uh, you can use the Bible and all the time be explaining the Bible away with it if you're clever. Take it for what it says. Take it for what it says. Korah was essentially telling the congregation of Israel, God will be pleased with us if we liberate ourselves from his word. You look at all these pastors today. How can you take a Bible... That clearly says that homosexuality is an abomination to God. How can you take a Bible that clearly says that women can't be pastors? How can you take a Bible that says uh, 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 adultery is wrong and fornication is wrong and sex before marriage is wrong? How can you take a Bible that clearly spells things out like thou shalt not kill and then with that same Bible have a whole group of religious people get up and stand with ungodly leaders and ordain the very things God's word is against? The only way you can do it is if you lift up the congregation and put down the Bible at the same time. You let them know you're all holy. And these other people are taking too much upon themselves. How you minimize the scripture without minimizing the scripture. You say, well, that was for that day. This is for us today. Times change. So you don't put down the word of God, yet you put it out. God will be pleased if we liberate ourselves from his word. Now, Korah couldn't come right out and say that, of course. So Korah attacked the man of God who stood on the Bible. And that's what people do today. He didn't attack what God told Moses. He attacked Moses who stood on what God told. You see? So they'll attack people. They'll make us to be religious fanatics. They'll make us to be old holier than thou's. Korah said, all the congregation are holy, every one of them. You see, by attacking the man who followed God's word, 
Korah was teaching the people that they could be holy without it. You can be holy without the word of God. That's what false teachers are telling people today. And that's the problem that we're seeing in liberal churches today. But church, let me tell you something. You can't have holy people apart from a holy Bible. It's not possible. Apart from God's word, the people have no holiness because they have no gospel. And if they have no gospel, they have no truth. And if they have no truth, they have no light. They're simply dead men who deny the light and condemn the living. Korah was denying Aaron's place as the high priest. When he put down Moses and Aaron, he was putting Aaron out from the priesthood. The one man that God ordained to represent Israel as the high priest. He is saying, well, we can have someone other than that. That's all the same as someone coming and telling you, well, there's more ways to get to heaven than Jesus. You remember when Oprah Winfrey did that? Oh, there's more. There's all kinds of ways to get to heaven. And all these, these daytime women sitting around there uh, watching TV, a lot of them falling for it. But there's not more than one way to heaven. Now, no, now, how can the people of Israel be holy apart from the blood sacrifice offered by the high priest that God had established? The answer is they can't. Korah, once again, therefore, was a picture of people who seek to be holy apart from the blood of Christ. They seek to be godly. They seek to be moral apart from the established way of the gospel Apart from Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation for our sins through faith in his blood, as the Apostle Paul puts it. Korah was a type of the pastors today who preach some other way than Jesus Christ alone, all the while offering the church something that looks and sounds very similar to the gospel message. Look with me now in Numbers sixteen sixteen, And Moses said unto Korah, Be thou... And all thy company before the Lord, thou and they and Aaron tomorrow. And take every man his censer and put incense in them. And bring ye before the Lord every man his censer. Two hundred and fifty censers. Thou also and Aaron, each of you his censer. And they took every man his censer and put fire in uh, in them. And laid incense thereon and stood in the door of the tabernacle of the congregation of Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell upon their face and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak then unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and uh, Abiram. And Moses rose up and went unto Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest ye be consumed in all their sins. Let me pause right there for a moment. And if that's the way God felt about ungodly and false teachers in that day, that's exactly what God feels about false and ungodly teachers in our day. God is not saying all religions are welcome. 
God is not saying, well, if they look right and they use the Bible and they talk right. Do you know what tabernacle they were standing in front of? They were standing in front of the true tabernacle. Do you know what most holy place they were standing in front of? They were standing in front of the most holy place where God's spirit dwelt. Nevertheless, even though they were in the right place, the right religious uh, uh, God, the right position in church or wherever they were, even though they were in the right place, God has this warning for Israel, and therefore God has this warning for us, depart from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing of theirs, lest ye be consumed in all their sins. That's the message of God to his people today. Don't have anything to do with them. Don't let someone guilt trip you into going to a church that doesn't preach the true word of God. Don't compromise and go to a church that doesn't preach the true word of God. Don't say they're local. They're convenient. You know what? They may be local. They may be convenient. They may be kind. They may be nice to your family. They may have all kinds of programs. But you know what? God says they're wicked and you're going to die with them if you take on their ways. So they gat up, verse 27, from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan and Abiram on every side. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood in the door of their tents and their wives and their sons and their little children. And Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own mind. In other words, I didn't come up with these Ten Commandments. I didn't come up with all this law. You're about to know this came from the Lord. Verse 29, If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. In other words, if they die of the COVID, if they die of a heart attack, like any other man, God didn't send me. Verse 30, But if the, new, if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertaining to them and they go down quick or alive into the pit then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord and it came to pass as he had made an end of speaking all these words that the ground clay that means it split in two at asunder that was under them and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods they and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished they perished from among the congregation God gave Jesus Christ so they that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life and I'm telling you today I don't care what religious clothes somebody wears I don't care what size Bible they got in their hands I don't care what denomination they stand for if they are not preaching the blood of Jesus Christ as his atonement for sins and the resurrection from the dead on our behalf as the only way to heaven, they are going to be swallowed up in the same pit that got Cor and his people. They're going to go to the lake of fire forever and ever. And anyone who follows them is going to go the same way. Just as the demons are going to follow the devil in the lake of fire as well. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and read greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying. Of course. In Jude 11. Underscore these three verbs please. And we'll close. Underscore the word gone. Gone. Underscore the word ran. 
underscore the word perished. Gone, ran, perished. They went, they ran, they perished. Folks, God reasoned with Cain. Remember? God, the Bible says God reasoned with him. God reasoned with Cain. God stood in the way of Balaam. God gave his word to Korah. But they went their own sinful way. Yea, they ran eagerly into it. And ultimately, they perished. And with a broken heart, God has written this epitaph over the grave of every religious hypocrite. They went. They ran. They perished. Don't think for a moment that somebody's going to mistakenly trip into hell. Don't think for a moment that some preacher getting up there and preaching on television every week that everybody loves was just mistaken. And somehow they accidentally go into hell. No, sir. This is the epitaph over every religious leader who speaks falsely. They went. They ran. They perished. And with that, we'll close and God willing, we'll take up in verse 12. Next Sunday, with more of the heavy doctrine of the little book of Jude. Hey, you know, you can run that backwards. The way of Cain was not the way of the cross. I saw Jesus on that cross one day and I understood what his death meant for me. You know what I did? I went, Brother Doug. I ran, Brother Doug. I was saved, Brother Doug. I shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Man, it's okay to go. It's okay to run. Just make sure you're running to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for the stern warning. At the same time, we thank you for the clear instructions. It's not, Lord, that we can't find the right way. Jesus told us I am the way. It's not, Lord, that we we, we don't know your word. You've given it to us. It's not that you won't teach us. You give wisdom to all men liberally and upbraid not. And Father, they went, they ran, and they perished. But I thank you for giving us the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it could be said of us in eternity, they went, 